What should you buy into from week one? We'll discuss the athletics of some of the key issues from the opening week in the NFL 2013 season. Also, we'll take a look at the CHFF Insider Big Board and take a look at some of the top performances from week one. Also, a review of our brand new Intelligence Index. All this and more on this week's Stat Pack. Happy Week 2, Pigskins fans, and welcome back to a new season of Stat Pack. I'm your host, Adam Durovalski, and for this week, we take a look, of course, a bit at the opening week. Some intriguing things to talk about. We'll give you the mathletics. We'll give you a nice taste of what you can have if you become a Cold Hard Football Facts Insider. And also, of course, we look ahead to Week 2. Some exciting games. Five games between 1-0 and o teams, and of course... With what we had in week one, with 12 games decided by seven points or fewer, we have the potential of five games between 0-1 teams being fought down to the wire where one team can say our season is still strong, the other one might be hitting the panic button. Of course, there's no panic button here on Cold Hard Football Facts. We give you the calm, the cool, and the awesome analysis that will help you get ready for this upcoming week two. We'll Break down some things here with the Mathletics. We'll break down some things here with what we have on our CHFF Insider. And a reminder, you can get that at a very good deal if you go on to coldheartfootballfacts.com and go to those Insider tabs. You will get yourself some deep Insider analysis that will help you to correctly predict some of the games straight up against the spread and much more for week two. Let's, though, start things off with a look back to week one. And let's talk about some of the things you can buy and sell in terms of the mathletics from this opening week. We had some interesting thing happen, as always, with week one. We don't know exactly sometimes what to buy, what exactly to sell, but I'm going to tell you with the mathletics what you can buy, what you should sell, and what you can maybe hold off for a later date. First up on our Mathletics Big Board, the Dallas Cowboys turnover boost. Buy or sell? For background, in the Cowboys 36-31 victory Sunday, Big Blue gave it six turnovers to the Cowboys. The Giants, a rough day for them, but for the Cowboys, those six turnovers, just 10 shy of what they had all last season. Those 16 turnovers included seven interceptions. And in fact, the Cowboys had an interception percentage of just 1.37 last season. In NFL history, every team that had an interception percentage below 1.5% improved the following season. So, I'm going to buy this for the Dallas Cowboys. You have to figure that they're going to improve their turnover rate at some point. It's going to be better than 16. Now, is it going to be six every game? Well, not exactly, but the Cowboys were able to produce four points per turnover in this game against the Giants, two of them aided by defensive touchdowns. But the Cowboys should be able to figure out to get their turnover rate, I would think, somewhere around 1.5 per game, shooting around for 24 turnovers in total. And what can that do for a Dallas Cowboys team that was 8-8 eight and eight last season and were in many close games 
Walton may be able to take that two, four, six-point game and put it up to a two-possession game and kind of ease the pressure a little bit off of Tony Romo, which we have proven here on Cold Hard Football Facts, that Tony Romo isn't as big of a choker as many make. It's pretty much because he's been in so many close games that he's eventually due for failure. So buy the Dallas Cowboys with their turnover boost. Next up on our big board, more San Diego choking in the second half. Buy or sell. For that background, the San Diego Chargers may be in the least surprising 21-point blown lead at home in the second half. Was up 28-7 to against the Houston Texans, the second game of Monday Night Football, but lost 31-28. to In fact, the Chargers, this makes them 3-6 with a first-half lead since Week 5 in 2012. That's right, six blown second-half leads in the last 13 games for the Chargers. That is a rate to me, according to the Mathletics, that's not going to continue. So I would sell more San Diego choking. I know that's going against the grain here of what the Chargers have done in recent years. Obviously, the North Turner era is past. Mike McCoy, a new head coach, not exactly the way to begin your tenure, but I think San Diego is going to turn the corner. And we'll explain a little bit more why that it was really the Texans hurting themselves in the first half. That will come later in our Intelligence Index review. But now to number three on our big board of Mathletics, more Carolina close game losses. Buy or sell? Well, like for the Chargers, I'm going to sell this one. A little bit of background for the Carolina Panthers. Their 12-7 to loss at home against the Seattle Seahawks now makes Carolina 2-13 and in games decided by 7 points or fewer since Ron Rivera became head coach in 2011. No matter how you splice it, despite Ron Rivera's iffy at best coaching decisions in close games, 2-13 and is pretty much unretainable. You look at the NFL history for teams that have won two games or fewer, 2-14, and 1-15, or for the Buccaneers and Lions, winless seasons, those teams generally get better. It's something that you have to look at in the sense of expected wins as opposed to actual record. In 15 games, decided by 7 points or fewer, the Carolina Panthers are 2-13. and 13. You look at the points between those games, I don't care what the actual total is, those expected wins are going to be much higher than 2-13. and 13. It should be pretty much close enough to being 7-8, and 6-9 at worst, 5-10. and 10. But the Panthers are 2-13 and 13 in those games. In the Ron Rivera era, things will get better for the Carolina Panthers. Next up on our big board of athletics, buy or sell RG3's sophomore slump. Now, you might have to do this with a bit of reservation, but I say... Buy. Buy a sophomore slump. Why? Well, it all depends on how you define sophomore slump. To me, a sophomore slump is regressing from what you did as a rookie. And that's going to happen with RG3. Just five interceptions last season. RG3 in the loss to the Philadelphia Eagles in Week 1, 33-27 on Monday Night Football, had two interceptions. But RG3 had a passer rating above 100. Him and Russell Wilson became the first two rookies to surpass a 100 passer rating. The Washington Redskins as a team, obviously, surpassed this 100 passer rating. 
but no team in NFL history improved their pass rating after putting up a 100 pass rating the previous season. That's happened in 28 instances, and none of them improved their passer rating the following season. So Washington's going to regress. So will RG3. Part of it will be because of his knee recovery. Part of it will be because teams will have figured out some of the things he's done well. And the Eagles seem to do that just enough in the first three quarters or so. Number five now on our big board. Buy or sell the improved offensive efficiency for the Arizona Cardinals. Last year, the Cardinals put up just 4.13 yards per play. Week one, they put up 24 points and looked much improved against the St. Louis Rams. So I will buy the improved offensive efficiency for Big Red. In fact, that 4.13 YPP, the worst since 2008 in the Cincinnati Bengals. And no team since the 1998 and 99 Eagles put up back-to-back seasons with a yards per play less than 4.25. So it can't get much worse, according to the Mathletics. Heck, you didn't even have to look at week one to know things are going to get better for the Cardinals. But it's good to see that Carson Palmer and Arizona put up a good affair offensively against a pretty good Rams defense. But now let's close off our big board. Number six, buy or sell the improved Philadelphia Eagles pass defense. In 2012, the Eagles had a defensive pass rating of 99.57. Week 1 against the Redskins, 77.68. I buy this improvement for 2013. Why? Well, because of a touchdown rate that was pretty much unattainable, you would think, but is definitely unretainable. Last year, the Eagles put up a defensive touchdown percentage of 6.8, the worst since the 2008 Arizona Cardinals. In week one, the Eagles allowed two touchdown passes, yes, but in 49 pass attempts, that's a touchdown percentage of 4.08. In fact, the Eagles had a better touchdown percentage allowed of completions, 30 completions, two touchdowns, 6.67. So things are looking up for the Eagles, and maybe in this new Chip Kelly offense with this pacing and this veer of sometimes mixing up runs, maybe a little bit of read option here or there. The Eagles, with that and an improved pass defense, they're a team that may be able to win that NFC East, which beats up upon each other. But that closes our big board of Mathletics here in Week 1. For all you CHFF insiders, you're in luck. You get to see the big boards for every week. And trust me, these are important things to check out. It will tell you exactly how teams won and lost. You look at the top end, the bottom end of these big boards, and you see the winners and losers. So if you don't already have the insider, check it out on coldhardfootballfacts.com. But we're going to give you a taste if you're not. We're going to give you a little bit of a nice appetizer of what you can get here on Cold Hard Football Facts as we take a look at the Week 1 Big Board. Some of the top performances from the Big Board looking at all the quality stats. Some things that really stood out to me here. First things first, both the Dallas Cowboys and San Diego Chargers had a sub-10 scorability. According to our 2012 Big Board, it happened 46 times last season. Those teams went 42-4. and 4. 
through week one? Well, just one and one. Those four losses last season, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in a 41-34 uh, loss to the New York Giants. Jacksonville in week seven against Oakland. The Giants in week nine against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the Arizona Cardinals in week 11 versus the Atlanta Falcons. The common bond between those four teams, all of them, missed the playoffs. Tampa Bay, New York, they had their glimpses. Well, maybe even Arizona had their glimpses at 4-0, but the Cardinals were 5-11. The Jaguars were 2-14. Tampa Bay and New York couldn't get the job done sometimes in the season, and that ended up hurting them in the postseason by not even being there. Is that what's going to happen with the San Diego Chargers? They lose to the Houston Texans despite putting up a sub-10 scoreability. Is this going to be the game that they're going to say that they shot away their opportunity? Yes. I said in the Mathletics top six from week one that San Diego would not choke many more times this season, that they're going to improve in the second half when leading. But I just don't know if the Chargers are going to be consistent enough moving forward. Next up on our big board, what stood out to me from week one, Seattle winning despite having a scoreability over 30. It happened in 54 occasions last season, according to our 2012 big board, in which teams put up a scoreability of 30 or greater. Those teams went 30, went 3 and 51. 3 and 51, just three wins. The Baltimore Ravens defeating the Kansas City Chiefs 9 to 6. The Browns defeating the Chargers 7 to 6. The Jets defeating the Cardinals 7 to 6. So maybe it's no surprise that Seattle defeated Carolina 12 to 7. Now, this was a hard fought week 1 victory for the NFC favorites. In fact, maybe the favorites here on CHFF. I mean, we did only mention six reasons why the Seattle Seahawks could win the Super Bowl this season. But going cross-country against Carolina, and despite having trouble scoring, your defense has a 30-plus bendability. And that's what great teams do. If the offense struggles, the defense keeps the game close. Maybe this upcoming week we'll see in week two as the Seahawks face the 49ers the 49ers winning in week one, despite struggles with their bendability, they were good with scoreability against the Green Bay Packers. Maybe the Seahawks will have to score more to defeat Colin Kaepernick and the San Francisco 49ers. It's a great time for the Seahawks team that they're able to pull out this victory and become just the fourth team since 2012 to win, despite a scoreability of 30 or greater. Next up on our big board, number three, the Kansas City Chiefs putting up a 2.28 defensive real passing yards per attempt. That would have ranked ninth in 2012. That's right, just eight times of the 512 in 2012 were better than what the Chiefs did against the Jacksonville Jaguars in that 28-2 victory. Take a look at this camp, uh, this uh, Kansas City defense. Okay, they did it against Blaine Gabbert, but maybe, just maybe, they're going to have some regression after finishing dead last. 
in defensive pass rating last season. I, I, I think things are looking up for this Chiefs team. New head coach Andy Reid, maybe that just that fresh scenery or that Mathletics regression is going to be what's needed for Kansas City. And what a way to start things off. They look great on our big board and we need to check it out on the Cold Hard Football Facts Insider. Next up, number four on our big board, the Denver Broncos. Also, a top eight, top nine type performance, this time an offensive passer rating. Peyton Manning, that fantastic seven-touchdown game. It's pretty much the first in the live ball era, which is saying something that the seven-touchdown games were before the live ball era. But anywho, an offensive pass rating of 141.07 would have ranked ninth in the 2012 Big Board. I'm thinking that if you can get this job done, against the defending Super Bowl champions, you're doing something good. To compare, the only perfect pass rating last season was from the Washington Redskins against the Philadelphia Eagles. Redskins coming off a bye three and six. The Eagles knee-deep in their worst stretch of passing defense football. I think this is actually more impressive because it's not defeating... And also, Rams, defeating a team that is fresh off a Super Bowl victory. Yes, on the road in Denver, and Denver had its revenge coming up, but still, doing that against a quality opponent is something you need to take a look out for. Next up, we look at the Dallas Cowboys again on our big board, twice standing out. This time with their defensive rusher rating. The Cowboys, getting those three fumbles a big key as they put up a defensive rusher rating of negative 30.01. Only two teams put up a better performance according to our 2012 big board. The Bengals in week 15 against the Eagles and the Seahawks in week 14 against the Cardinals. In fact, there are only four negative defensive rusher ratings in 2012 and the Cowboys already do it in week one. Maybe this is exactly why Tom Coughlin is scared trying to figure out who he's going to have as his rushers in week two. Darrell Scott apparently suffered a knee injury in Wednesday's practice. David Wilson had his two fumbles. Now, I, I wouldn't get too far ahead of myself if I'm Tom Coughlin. Three career fumbles for David Wilson all week one against Dallas. Maybe he'll get better. There's going to be some sort of regression but you need to figure out consistency in your rushing game. And is getting Brandon Jacobs a washed-up old big running back your answer? I think not. But for the Cowboys, give them a nice pat on the back. Good rushing defense in Week 1. But let's close things off with an interesting bit of speculation here, and that's from our three teams who put up a sub-5 real passing yards per attempt in victory. Now, this isn't exactly a rare thing. It happened five times last season in which three or more teams in a single week won with their real passing yards per attempt under five. In fact, in week 15 last year, it happened four times. Teams with a sub-five real passing yards per attempt went 30-88 and 88 last season. It's a pretty respectable figure. Kansas City defeating Jacksonville. Jets defeating Tampa Bay. Cowboys defeating the Giants. The point I'm going to get here, too, is 
that you need something else to work out well. And I think this needs to speak to the balance of teams moving forward. The Dallas Cowboys, great rushing defense, six takeaways. That's how they got the victory, not from their passing game in week one. The Kansas City Chiefs, we already mentioned their fantastic defensive passing performance against the Jaguars. And they only allowed two points. We didn't even get into their bendability, which was the best this week and is one of the best if you included the 2012 big board. And then for the Jets, well, they got a little bit of help. They got a little bit of luck as Levante David with that key penalty in terms of the late hit to Geno Smith in the waning seconds. But they also did well with their pass defense in the second half, shutting down Josh Freeman, allowing just three points in the second half. They were able to improve their bendability in the second half, be a little bit more intelligent defensively, not allowing those big plays and those easy points against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So my lesson to you, if you're not going to have passing efficiency, you need to have balance. And that's going to be the key, and that's what you learn from the big board here in week one. Time to review the idiots. And time to review the geniuses. We look back at week one in the intelligence index and begin things off. Obviously, the headline, the New York football giants, six giveaways leading to 24 points from the Dallas Cowboys. This included two defensive touchdowns. And the Giants just shooting themselves in the foot with those two defensive touchdowns. Their bendability if they don't allow those two defensive touchdowns, it have gone from 9.19 to 14.39. The intelligence index, instead of negative 6 and change, would have been negative 1.3. Meanwhile, for the Dallas Cowboys, I think they could have done better. I think they could have been a little bit smarter. Their offense had four opportunities on the field after turnovers, and it led to just 10 points. Cowboys need to improve that. So I think the Giants are going to be good. Same thing with the Houston Texans after what was a horrid first half, intelligently speaking. The Texans put up, get this, a negative 23.19 intelligence index in the first half. That, to me, is just mind-boggling. There's a reason why Houston was one of only two teams with an intelligence index of negative five or worse to win. The other team being the New England Patriots. And you can kind of see how these strongly built teams like the Texans and Patriots can get the victories despite playing stupid football. But the Texans played much better in the second half. They gave the Chargers so many opportunities in the first half and even early in the second half as the Chargers built a 28-7 lead. But the Chargers were never really the better team in terms of actual physical efficiency. It was just the intelligence that was lacking for the Houston Texans. They missed field goal, a missed fourth and one, some dumb penalties that kept Chargers drives alive and took away Texans drives. A scoreability of 31.43 in the first half, 9.55 in the second half. A bendability of 8.24 in the first half, 12.86. In the second half. So I think the Texans and the Giants from week one will be better in week two. Keep a lookout for that on the intelligence index and maybe put that 
into your mind for your bets. But maybe a team you need to call off all bets for improvement is the Cleveland Browns. And I hate to say it, but again, it looks like they're going to stink this year. Stupid turnovers leads to stupidity in the scoreboard. They were 31st in the Intelligence Index through Week 1, negative 17.14. How about this? Three interceptions, two turnovers on downs, and they put up a total of 138 yards for no points. You take away those yards, their scoreability goes from 29.1 to 15.3. So you need to put some sort of points up on the board, and their Intelligence Index would have been at negative 3.34. So... We know what the problem is for the Browns, but I don't know if they're going to fix it with Brandon Whedon under center. So all those bets you might have been thinking of during the year for the Browns to improve, call them all. They're vanilla. They're bad. They're a team you don't want to pick, really, moving forward in this season. But let's close things off with some teams that got away with some boneheaded coaching decisions and bad management from both the New Orleans Saints and the New York Jets. Late in the game, with the Saints hosting the Atlanta Falcons up 20-17, to fourth down, Sean Payton decides to look like go for a fourth down, but he just tried to draw an offside from the Falcons. Calls a timeout, settles for a field goal. And then Matty Ice, the two-minute drill man, great in game-winning opportunities, winning percentage above 50, nearly gets the job done. The Saints just hold on with the gold line stand. That touchdown happens. That's your difference in winning and losing against the spread and the straight up between the Saints and Falcons in week one. Meanwhile, the Jets, they were sloppy with the clock. They were wasting time trying to call timeouts as the Buccaneers actually down but in field goal range. The Jets defense trying to hold, and if the Buccaneers uh, get the field goal, you have enough time to drive down and get the field goal. The Jets were sloppy, but Levante David bails them out. Keep a lookout for those two teams. Are those bad management choices going to continue, and is that going to affect their intelligence index? I urge you to look out for that heading into week two. But for now, that ends our week one review of the intelligence index. We wrap up our week one and review with the king of props, John Dudley, going 4-0 in his prop bets. Wesley Woodyard, over seven tackles, a win there as he gets ten tackles against the Broncos. Marcus Colston, over four and a half receptions, he gets five in week one against Atlanta, another victory there. Jordy Nelson, over four receptions, he gets seven against the 49ers. Another victory for Dudley. And then Monday Night Football, Dudley seals a 4-0 week, saying that Ryan Matthews will have under three receptions. And despite a touchdown in the very first play from scrimmage for the Chargers, Ryan Matthews finishes with only two touchdown receptions. Or only two receptions, excuse me. One touchdown reception. So I think our lesson learned here, if you go on the Cold Art Football Facts Insider, You'll find out those prop bets from John Dudley. You kind of know where to go. And Dudley, a masterful hold of the receiving end of the passing game in week one. That's usually the toughest thing to figure out, especially in the Saints offense and the Packers offense where the ball can spread to pretty much any receiver. 
yes, obviously a lot of passing opportunities, and you have to factor that into the prop bets. But it's tough to figure out sometimes which guy will get the job done. And Dudley had a masterful hold on those props. So, again, go to Cold Hard Football Facts Insider, and you will find out upcoming. The King of Props, Week 2 Bets. Well, we had a lengthy look back to week one, and that's obviously going to be our lengthiest look back. It's week one. You have so many things that kind of stand out because of the change of the year. We're going to make sure we have, in the future, a shorter look back and a bigger look ahead. But let's look ahead now to week two, and let's look at maybe a preview of our intelligence to come. We have some interesting matchups according to our intelligence index. Kansas City against Dallas, the Chiefs, right now uh, at a, a line of two and a half that they're taking at home. They have the top bendability going up against the Cowboys. They have the top scorability. Usually the offense is more consistent, and having such a high bendability like the Chiefs did in the 90s usually comes from a defense that doesn't allow a lot of points. Well, the Chiefs won 28-2 against the Jaguars. I don't think the Cowboys are going to score only two points today. So that bendability is going to go down. The question, though, is can the Cowboys do better than averaging only 2.5 points per turnover for their offense? Remember, yes, two defensive touchdowns for the Cowboys, but four opportunities for the offense off turnovers, only 10 points. Right now, if I had to choose, I would pick the Cowboys in terms of the spread, but it's one I take with very high reservation. The Cowboys over the years have been one of the dumber teams in America. They haven't done well in the intelligence index, so maybe past history might help you out there, but we'll see. Keep a lookout for that. That's an interesting battle. Also interesting, I'd like to see what Carolina and Seattle will do, both having points going up against Buffalo and San Francisco, respectively. Both teams with a scoreability above 30 going up against each other in week one. Will they improve it against other teams? In terms of the bendability index, Buffalo 8th last week against the New England Patriots, San Francisco 21st against the Green Bay Packers. Meanwhile, will the New York Giants continue to trend down? They faced the Denver Broncos in week two, a team that is third in scoreability after their week one performance against the Baltimore Ravens. And Denver's getting the points. The Giants were fourth in scoreability, sixth in bendability, leaving them fifth in the intelligence index last year at 4.57. But was that helped out by a plus 14 turnover margin? The Giants were outgained last season. In fact, both them and the Chicago Bears, and the Bears were outgained and had a, 20, a plus 20 turnover margin. And despite those teams being fourth and fifth, and the Intelligence Index didn't really pan out against the spread. They both had under 10 victories. So maybe that's showing that the reliance on the turnovers doesn't really pan out in terms of betting against the spread. So let's close things out with our top three battle in week two in the Intelligence Index. Miami at Indianapolis. Indianapolis getting the points, but they lost against the spread at home against the stupid... Oakland Raiders, and the Raiders had a cross-country trip playing the early game. I don't know how I feel about that. Yes, the Colts were very smart with the football. 
in week one, but they still could only win by four points. I'm going to take the Miami Dolphins. I'm going to take the points, and I would take them straight up right now. I'll tell you right now. That, to me, is your bet of the week here from Stat Pack. Take the points. Take Miami straight up against Indianapolis in week two. And that is your preview from the Intelligence Index of week two. On to our final segment, a six-pack of top games for week two. And week one was fantastic. Twelve games decided by seven points or fewer. Five decided by three points or fewer. And four coming down to the final seconds with a field goal winning it for some teams that are very highly thinking about their 2013 season and the New England Patriots, the New York Jets, the St. Louis Rams, and the Houston Texans. Five games between 1-0 teams. Five games between 0-1 teams. What makes our six-pack? We'll begin things off with the St. Louis Rams at the Atlanta Falcons. Could the NFC Championship game loser fall to 0-2? Could the Rams go to 2-0? The last time the Rams were two games above 500 was Week 6 in 2006. So for that reason, I'm intrigued by this game. Last year, both of these teams were very respectable in the quality stats power rankings. The Falcons 10th, the Rams 17th. Meanwhile, I look at the Dallas Cowboys at the Kansas City Chiefs. Both teams are 1-0. As mentioned, top bendability against top scoreability. And you have two of the top four teams in rusher rating differential. Which team will have the superiority in the passing game? Is it Alex Smith? or Tony Romo? We'll have to find out. Not two good teams last year in the quality stats power rankings, but that makes things more interesting. Cold Art Football Facts picked Kansas City to make the playoffs as a wild card, and they could start off 2-0. Meanwhile, now we look at Pittsburgh at Cincinnati. Two 1-0 teams, excuse me, in the very good defensive AFC North. Expect more defense here. The Steelers dealing with injuries. No Marquise Pouncey. Cincinnati after a tough lone lead at Chicago. They're at home against Pittsburgh. Which team is going to start 0-2? Last year, Pittsburgh was 11th in the quality stats power rankings. Last year, the Bengals were 12. Next up, the Manning Bowl. Number three on our six-pack, Denver at New York. We already talked about the Giants. Could they continue to tread down? In terms of their intelligence, will they bounce back against a Denver team that put up seven touchdowns against Baltimore in Week 1? The Broncos were second in the quality stats power rankings last year. They look very much to repeat that this season. Number two now, our top 0-1, the 0-1 game, Washington at Green Bay. Two teams that were in the top eight in the quality stats power rankings last year. One team is going to start 0-2 this year. Now, both of them may have suffered what could be down-the-road quality losses. Washington against the Eagles, Green Bay against the 49ers, but one of those teams is going to have a big hole to climb out after winning their respective divisions last year. And the number one on our six-pack, there's no other choice, San Francisco at Seattle. Last year, this was a top-three matchup. The 49ers, the best team according to quality stats power rankings. Seattle was third. Both of these teams want to know. Both of these teams what could eventually become quality victories. San Francisco against Green Bay. Seattle on the road at 
Carolina. I'm interested to see which team will continue their role from last year and start 2-0 and be the leader in the NFC West clubhouse going into week three. That's all for this week's edition of the Stat Pack. Adam Durbowski signing out. Make sure to enjoy your week two of pigskin football and, of course, become a CHFF insider and get all the statistical analysis you need on coldhardfootballfacts.com. Thank you.